0: Hey y'all i uh before we start the show, I just wanted to give a quick little update to those of you who uh extended your concerns about something I mentioned on my previous episode. The shorthand of the story is that someone I was trying to help got mad at me for intervening tried to. Accuse me of something I didn't do. I'm not gonna reveal this person's identity out of the last remaining respect I have for them. But under the circumstances, it hurt. It still does. Because the apology I got, she finally came forward And dropped all the accusations Dropped the charges Because she actually went as far as Filing a police report I It was a half-cocked Apology Where she might as well be Reading off of cue cards So It's going to take some time to heal from that But I promise you guys I'm okay but now, enough of my sob story. On to the program, right? Let's get on with the show. gentlemen. My name is Dakota Franson and welcome to Dakota's Declassified. Tonight I wanted to give you insights into one of my very first paranormal investigations. At least I should say it was my very first public investigation. Before going official and going out into the public eye, I took on a few private cases just to get my bearings before launching out into the world, basically. This case takes place about nine years ago. the small town of Murta, Idaho, where I grew up. It's very much a blink-and-you'll-miss-it kind of town. There's a lot of history behind it. This case gave me some insight into that history, as well as helped form some of the theories I have today about what happens to us after death. This episode will also tie into this Friday's episode of Specialist of the Strange Radio Show, where we talk about the types of hauntings, well, mainly focusing on human hauntings, but I'll talk more about that later on in the program. So if I've got your interest... Sit back relax enjoy the show now back in the day I actually used to have my own team there was a group of us who all went to school together as well as a designated adult to us basically act as somewhat of a chaperone in the events that we needed to deal with the police. That never really became a problem, just putting it out there. The police happened to be fans. So, that actually worked out pretty well. Anyway, the first investigation was put together. I took it on by myself due to the fact that it was a family member, and none of my team was available. That was the arrangement. None of us, none of us had to attend all investigations being that we were all still in high school and we all had our own individual lives, we take on the cases that we were available for. If certain circumstances came up to where one of us was going to be needed more than the others, say we happened to, there's been a couple times where we had to deal with inter-family relationships, meaning that A client happened to be related to one of us. This first case that we took on was one of them. My late grandfather, he used to be the foreman at the Murtaugh Highway Department building. It was a small building You had the main offices, then you had the garages. Plus there was also a separate apartment attached to the building itself. It's one of the more oldest buildings that still stands in the area. It's right along a set of train tracks that actually contain a bit of a urban legend, if you want to call it that so the arrangement was at the time of the investigation my mother was going into surgery hysterectomy something wasn't necessarily anything major it was something she was wanting so being that was the case we all stayed out at my grandparents' house, which gave the perfect opportunity. I finally had a good set of gear ready to go. My grandfather had offered up the location should I ever decide to choose it. Because he would tell me all sorts of weird stories about how you could swear you can hear people walking around just working as well, as sometimes voices, and they also believe that the former foreman, my grandfather's old boss, as a matter of fact, he and his wife, who actually used to live in that apartment section I mentioned, were still hanging around. In fact, they were pretty damn sure of it. So, it was a family affair, location I knew very well. It was safe. There was no reports of anything malicious happening. It seemed like a good start for a haunt. And (laughs) let me tell you, it actually turned out to be more than I bargained for. I should also mention that my grandfather was also fighting his battle with cancer and uh, that particular weekend he wasn't feeling his best, so he wasn't able to attend. As I would have let him, if he wanted, if he felt up to it. He let me set up shop in his main office. Where I ran my DVR system. Now, (laughs) you might think, Dakota, you don't have to go through the boring setup. It's like, well, yeah, I do, because some old lady who did not have any visible form, some invisible, grouchy old lady, came up behind me. And this was my very first case, so I was statics it made me jump a little bit because i didn't expect anything to be happening that fast but as i was setting up i was setting up my old dvr system which was a typical CCTV security system that you can get pretty much anywhere nowadays to set up as a home or office security No fancy gadgets to it whatsoever. I didn't even have illuminators at the time, which could have very well hurt this case, but it was still profitable in a way. But anyway, like I was saying, I was setting up the DVR system, getting the cameras hooked up, placed in locations that seemed to have the most activity to see if maybe we can catch something. As I'm setting things up. Of course, I'm just kind of zoning out because I wasn't expecting anything to happen. Suddenly, I hear a grouchy old lady sound like she snuck up right to my ear. Right to my ear. And screamed, get out. I was like, now, mind you, my very first official paranormal investigation, I was only 14 years old. I handled a few minor, I like to call them the training days. i handled a few minor incidents that had no real results up to this point. So the fact that it was already coming off hot, that excited me i conducted my inv- my investigation further i practically just dropped the whole dvr system right away at the time the designated adult was my grandmother my grandfather's wife and asked her if she heard the voice she's like what are you talking about it's like I was trying to set up the camera, and all of a sudden, this old lady screams at me. I turn around. I think I see something there. But I turn around, and nobody's behind me. All of a sudden, she's smirking evil. That's my grandma for you. So being that she claimed that she wasn't the one who snapped up behind me, In fact, she was clear across the building. My grandma's got a bit of a reputation being kind of a ninja, but she's not that good. Don't tell her I said that. (laughs) Now, being that clearly it wasn't her, I realized that I had to act on this quickly in order to make sure I can catch something. So what I did is I grabbed a night vision camcorder, a digital voice recorder, and propped them on top of this small refrigerator that was located outside the main office. That was mostly for employees or visitors if they just happen to need a drink, you know, stay hydrated, don't need anybody. Don't need don't need anybody passing out while operating heavy heavy machinery, so never nevertheless, that was the logic behind that. Now right as I'm recording, I uh Basically do the standard procedure, you know state my name saying hey Someone out here just screamed at me. I want to see what you look like blah 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 I'm not mad. I just Want to make sure you're here That's the whole purpose. I'm not here to hurt anybody I'm Not here to make a supernatural eviction just Want to prove to some people Want to help prove to some people that they're not going insane. That type of thing. Now, the old YouTube channel I used to host for my team is actually still up. There's nothing new that gets added to it. So you can actually see the footage from this case I mentioned. Like I have said, I set the camcorder down facing out towards... The main shop area. You couldn't really make out a lot of details, but just enough to get a basic idea of what's there. And I set the visual voice recorder right in front of it. At the time I was still honing my craft. A lot of a lot of what I learned in my early days came from what I intimidated. I basically copied from the show Ghost Hunters. And a little bit from Ghost Adventures, but I didn't want to leave and all of a sudden have something attack my clients after I'm gone. So I didn't want to take Zach Megan's notorious approach of pissing everything off just because for ratings. That's pretty much what it's been happening lately. I'll have a bit more on that later. Anyway, so I followed a lot of what Jason Hawes and Grant Wilson show, how they acted on the show, portrayed myself as a professional. Plus, I was always a pretty big guy. By the time I was 14, I was already 6'5", and already had a pretty heavy receding hairline, so I looked a lot older than what a lot of people thought I was. I looked a lot older to most people who didn't really pay attention to how I spoke or how I acted sometimes. Anyway. Now, some of this footage I actually showed to journalists, anybody who wanted to see my work, because essentially... The idea for the YouTube channel at the time that I mentioned earlier, I know I'm kind of skipping around, so just bear with me, okay? The idea for the YouTube channel... (coughs) Oh, it was bugging me. Sorry about that interruption, ladies and gentlemen. Anyway, the idea for the YouTube channel was to basically try to put together my own show to help build an audience, build the clientele, and show that I meant business. That being said, the videos that are online are from some of my earlier cases before shit started to get real serious. There will be more on that a little later as well. Let's see. Um, anyway, as I was recording, I was trying to engage the spirits. I... Standard procedure is to space out your questions a minimum to five to 10 seconds. Some of my mentors recommend like three to five minutes, but I haven't really come across anything that would take that long to really respond to your questions. And it's like, you can probably argue, oh, maybe it's, uh, relatively new dead person that was there it's like no we id'd everybody that most of the people that we were talking to during that were involved in the haunting and uh we id'd them and if memory serves correct the shortest time span that uh any of them been dead were at least for a decade Heavy smokers. So anyway, as I was doing the recording, you can hear faintly what it sounded like, voices. But what caught my interest the most was during that same recording, within like a five-minute time frame of me getting yelled at, I said, I have this camera, basically I said to them, I, I have this camera set up here, this is to help prove that you're still here. If you can, please. I have these things set up here to help prove that you're still here. They won't hurt you in any way. Can you please make yourself known? Could you please approach them? Don't break them. Sometimes you gotta put in that little, mm, please don't break it. <laughs> and right as I said, could you please make yourself known? All of a sudden you see this faint object pop in and out of frame on command. It was transparent. and upon some brightness adjustments, you could see, well, you could see that there were some sort of facial features to this object that appeared. Without any adjustments whatsoever. With simple, with nothing more than adding a little bit of brightness to the photo, you can make out what looked like a male figure's face. And some of the audio recordings suggested I was talking to a male subject. The two spirits that were the husband and wife duo I mentioned earlier, their names were Carl and Fran. They actually, what I said, their kids actually used to go to school with my grandparents. And because my grandfather was the foreman there as well as my grandma being there with me to help with the investigation, that proved to be sort of a comfort level. You're bringing in people that the spirits know. So, they're a little bit more likely to come out and play. And like I said before, unfortunately, in order to prove a lot of the theories that are out there about spirits, you kind of need someone to die and come back to life. Come back somehow. And report on what they've seen. That's the only way to get any base measurement so far, and uh, even that might be a little unreliable. Anyway. The male subject I was talking to was Carl. He, uh, he was a good guy. Fran also spoke up later. And I believe that we may have actually caught an image of Fran as well because later on in the investigation I was walking around with the same night vision camcorder it was like a little cheap one I found online for like 30 bucks so it wasn't anything special so to explain the situation I know this is gonna be kind of a boring episode but I know that I'll have something that you guys might be interested in later anyway um, to explain the situation uh, there was the main office <laughs> basic, basic shifts yeah, I'm sorry that was an email alert people tend to bum me at the most inconvenient moments anyway so to set up the situation there was the office there was a series of steps da, da, da. You go out to the main floor. The shop floor itself had no flooring. It was all gravel. Now the main office, that was cemented down. That was all, the main floor was all gravel. I walk out to do a sweep of the area with an EMF detector and Camera. I'm moving the camera around trying to get it to coincide with the EMF. I noticed a couple of spikes. Now as you come out of the office, you turn left, go down a couple steps, you're on the floor. You go left again to go towards the front of the building. There's a series of steps that go into a very cramped little workspace. I have a camera actually set up on these steps, so when the EMF goes off, I assume it's that. But later on during evidence review, as I point the camera towards the top of the steps, all of a sudden, you see this kind of gray, transparent object that was peeking over the side of the stairs. All of a sudden, go, disappear. Like, oh shit, they saw me. In the original recordings, they've been slightly deteriorated over time, in file transfers from new computers and blah, blah blah blah. blah You could tell there was also features in this one. A couple brightness adjustments, and you can make out a female face. Now, why is that important? Because up in that little workspace i mentioned used to be carl's wife's her name was fran favorite area to do art projects she liked to make little toys and do little paintings stuff like that that was basically like her own little studio and she worked up there make toys for her kids when they were young. Later on in the investigation, I tried out a mock ghost box method. I call it a mock because it wasn't something to where I did any modifications whatsoever to get the device to rapidly click through channels like you see most ghost boxes do. All I did was like, I had an old karaoke machine that was just sitting around. It was like a Christmas gift around a few years before when I was a little kid. It's just been sitting around, still worked just fine. And it had a built-in radio. So my idea was, and you can give this a try too. My idea was... To turn the the dial of the radio into the lowest possible frequency I could find that had nothing but static coming through. I even clipped off a little wire on the back of this karaoke machine that was basically the antenna. So that way it would have a harder time getting long distance transmissions. I clipped it off so it can only pick up a rel- relatively close signals. And Murtaugh is a bit of a hole in the ground when it comes to radio. If you're driving through and you're trying to listen to the radio, you're going to notice that your radio is not going to get a good signal. That's just because of how the area is. No mysterious phenomenon behind it. So I had good faith that the signal would not get interrupted by any radio broadcasts at that time frame. Now mind you, we were getting close to midnight, so I wouldn't mind listening in to Coast to Coast AM, but nevertheless. Later on in the investigation, we tried this mock ghost box session with the karaoke machine. It was placed right about... Just under where friend's possible face popped up in the video. My grandmother confused about my thought process. I explained it to her. As you know, say, hey, um this is basically my idea on a ghost box. I got to thinking that spirits, my understanding of the spirits, I didn't rely a lot on quantum mechanics. I didn't have the same understanding of it that I do now. But if spirits exist on lower frequencies, getting them to act verbally, to try to tie, the way, essentially my logic was, if they were going to try to speak through a ghost box, it didn't make sense that their voice would just come through. If they had to attach themselves act at certain frequencies, they would have to try to time what they said to appear on the frequency they want. And that, with that thought, I, the constant clicking through it could easily mess with results. Therefore, I tried the lowest frequency. I explained this to my grandma, all of a sudden there was a female voice that came through the karaoke machine saying, You got it man! I literally had a spirit confirm that I was on it! I was on to something! The machine worked, they responded right away! That fucking blew my mind! They're like... It's like, okay! That being the case, I'll explain why that matters later on. We talked with the spirit. My grandmother knew enough details about the family to try to get it to speak, to reveal personal details that only someone who would be a close family friend would know. We asked them what the name of their children was. And the woman identified the children right away. There was that f- about 15 seconds at most of a delay in the responses, which was expected. But she was able to name everything off with perfect accuracy. We fucking found it. But however, this case had a few interesting missteps, which I'm gonna talk about after the commercial break. All right, so I mentioned earlier that this case also gave me an opportunity to tackle an urban legend in the area. Upon trying to research hauntings in the area to see how much other people have noticed about the town, which trust me, there's a lot m- more going on than what's on- you can find online. Two spots came to my interest. Number one was a bar that's located in Murtaugh. It's still there, still operational, constantly under surveillance from state police. And it mostly caters to... A few locals, some truckers that happen to pass by, and biker gangs. Cause... That's all that really passes through Murtaugh, when you really... Look at it. The bar itself is not haunted, I actually got an opportunity to investigate that later. I couldn't find anything that couldn't be explained off. That wasn't faulty wiring, old ass building, and a bunch of joking knuckleheads. The second one happened to be on a series of railroad tracks that ran through town. Always been there. Or at least... Well, at least they've been there since... The... Like, 1911? Murtaugh's been around since, like, the dying days of the Old West. It actually had... It's actually a town that was settled by people who gave up on the Oregon Trail halfway through and just happened to set up a shop near the Snake River Canyon. That's the actual history behind Murtaugh. There was a report that I found online, and I knew the lady that put, that allegedly saw this thing. There was a woman who claimed that she spotted a ghostly toddler around the train tracks playing with a chainsaw yeah now this lady she's actually direct heritage uh direct descendant of some of the first first people that founded the city of murtaugh a lot of the historical stuff from back then was caught in a real nasty fire so you can't it's A bitch to define the history. Unless you happen to be from there. Little fun fact. uh, If you've seen historical photos. That. uh, Show how. Before the United States Postal Service. Put a whole bunch of shit ton of limits. On what can be sent through the mail. How people used to mail their kids back and forth to go see like their grandparents there's a little photo that shows a mail carrier with a toddler in his pouch that was actually taken in Murtaugh little fun fact for you anyway this chainsaw-wielding toddler caught my interest at the time I called the case Operation Green Boy because there was also a toddler Who appeared as an orb in photos. As green orb in photos. Now you can say. Oh Dakota. The orbs are explained off. Yeah well this orb had feet. I've seen weird shit come out of Murtaugh. That I have never seen anywhere else. So. Unfortunately those photos. Have been lost in time. But that's my story. And I'm sticking to it. Anyway. Um. What was I saying? So. We divert from the investigation because it seemed like the activity was going cold for a bit. We go outside, admire the stars, to see if we can try to get this kid to play. The only rustling we heard that might have sounded like an animal was a nearby pack of coyotes that usually pop up every summer. So, nothing dangerous. We went back to the investigation we cleaned up, I packed up, went to have an interview, showed my grandfather what I found. Like I said, you can find some of the, my findings online. I have a playlist set up on my YouTube channel, so if you're listening to this through that, there's a, there's a playlist on my channel. It's labeled uh, archives of old shows or something like that. You can find, like, a playlist of my previous attempts at doing shit like this. I kept the old material online so people can still find me. If they found some of my older appearances that... Like, the first book I ever did, Hauntings from the Snake River Plain." Listen, my website as fransonfiles.webs.com. That website is still live, but it helps redirect you it'll redirect you to my new website which is dakotafrancid.com which fits the uh, broader image I've taken since then. About a couple weeks later something happens. My uncle who I feel like I should know looks a lot like me He and I actually get mistaken a lot for each other. We have similar attitudes, similar mannerisms. Even our voices sound the same. Let me just say this. We sound so much alike that his kids, you know, if we're all playing, having a good time, and they're not really paying attention to what they're saying, they, his kids, my cousins, will call me dad. His oldest boy actually looked at him and asked his father if his father and I were brothers. So, just to give you an idea of how much we're alike. So, they were sitting in the main office where I had the main... where my main... Um, headquarters set up... I. Had another word on on mine, but it doesn't want to come out, but anyway. They're sitting there talking about things going on. Then all of a sudden, a shelf my grandfather mounted on the wall is suddenly ripped off the wall and thrown towards them. Towards both my grandfather and my uncle. Now. Let me explain a couple of things. My grandfather. If he built something. Not even. Ramming a car into it. Will damage it. If my grandfather built something. He'd make sure that motherfucker Lasted. Okay, and my uncle, hardcore skeptic of the paranormal. Since I came around and uh, he started to see the things I could do, he's warmed up to the idea a bit. But... He was a hardcore skeptic at the time. Before his kids came along, he was a full-on asshole. In fact, to this day... We usually joke around and tell people that the main difference between him and I is that I'm the nice one. <laughs> but anyway, and my f- uncle did spend some time in the army. Uh, I, he's technically considered a veteran, but he didn't really see any action except for when a hurricane hit the base he was at for basic training. And brought a building down on him. He walked away, he's fine, but <laughs> he has a series of back problems that don't come from just being a bigger guy like we are. So, just to kind of give you a little background so, seeing this shell fly could have easily been a bit of a PTSD moment for my uncle. And I'm not making fun of him, I swear. But nevertheless, this honestly pissed me off when I heard that this happened. My grandmother did kind of provoke a little bit. So, whether they were pissed that I was there, they mistake my, they were mistaken my uncle for me, or they were pissed at my grandfather for inviting me into that location, or both. This pissed me off, because like I said... My grandfather was in his fight for cancer. He was bone thin during chemotherapy treatments. This man, I, my uncles and I, we have seen him get hurt in so many fucking ways. We were shocked that anything could take him down. For, anyway, no, Let's not go into that. We're running out of time. Uh so a follow up investigation was initiated to where I came in blazing. I said, "You know what? I don't care if you're here. I don't care if you maybe want to pull a prank every now and then. I don't blame you. I would do the same if I was in your position. But if I ever hear that you harm anybody or try to threaten them or even remotely come close to touching them again i will come back and i will make sure you will never be able to see this place again i was pissed off i was so i negotiated a deal the follow-up invest shit that's what i get for trying to do this show early anyway Where the fuck was I? Oh yeah, follow up case. I made this offer for in front of a motion sensor. Basically the idea is you agree to my terms, you set out the motion sensor, and I'll go away. I will not bug you again. The terms were I don't care if you stick around, I don't care if you occasionally prank somebody, I don't care. You just do what you gotta do. But if you dare hurt someone ever again, I will come back and I will make sure you will not be able to rest in this place. Before I even finished my sentence, they set off the motion alarm. I packed up and I left. I wasn't gonna press my luck. My grandfather was going through enough shit right at the moment and didn't mean shit that he can't fucking see trying to attack him. So what, how does this, now I mentioned that this Friday I'm going to be talking about human types of hauntings. This case actually provided insight into how each of those hauntings may manifest. You have the typical intelligent haunting, which is basically when the spirit is Aware of what their surroundings. Aware that you're there and does try to communicate. Residual. The spirit has no clue you're there. They're going through their day-to-day lives or going through some sort of loop. Then you have the poltergeist. The poltergeist was slightly. There was a couple key terms. Slightly in there due to the shelf being ripped off. Residual hauntings. Despite some people saying that it's only traumatic events being played in a loop to loop technically, if certain circumstances hit just right, your day-to-day routine could easily become a residual haunting. There was also Carl and Fran being able to communicate and actively participate in the both cases proved that... They were intelligent Taipons. They knew that we were there. They knew what year it was. They knew how the place had changed. Then there was also residual haunts. While I was trying to do an EVP session in the workspace of France I mentioned earlier, I noticed I stopped the session I stopped talking right away when all of a sudden I started hearing what sounded like someone moving around in one of the pickup trucks below. Like I said, part of the building was just a basically a large garage. There was snow plows and there was just regular pickup trucks the highway department used. I heard what sounded like someone shuffling around in their truck. Open the door to the truck. Get out. Step. Step onto the gravel. And walk out of the building like it was some dude that just finished their shift and was going home. Residual type haunts. They didn't interact with us, we tried to call out to them, they didn't respond. That is a residual type haunt. Now I'm going to explain more about how each one manifests on this Friday's episode. Now, briefly, with the time we have left, I want to also go over a couple other things. During my early stages, I basically copied methods of ghost hunters and ghost adventures and eventually twisted the methods to fit my needs. While ghost adventures did prove one of my very first experiences at the Old Eyed House State Penitentiary, especially as of late, they fake a lot of their cases. And I've been able to collaborate with on this with a local, another local team. Some of the pentagrams, claims of witchcraft, that Ghost Adventures has been using to create a dark setting for their investigations were not there at all before they showed up. In fact, I actually had a chance to collaborate with Ghost Adventures at one point. They were gonna pop up in the Gooding area, and I got an invite to help out with the reenactment parts of the show. I thought, "Oh, cool! This could be fun." But apparently, I've been flagged by Zach, who knows that I would be—I knew enough about the field to call him out. As for ghost hunters. I've always wanted to collaborate with them a bit more. There was talks when they did an event up in the Boise, Idaho area that they were monitoring a young group in the area, which I've assumed was me because one of my first, after this case was done, wrapped up and I got all the video footage I gathered, collected, I actually posted it on their public Facebook pages in hopes to get a response from them and to hear their opinions i never got a direct response but something tells me that i saw it and they were monitoring to see how i progressed and there may be further efforts to collaborate with them in the near future I, in fact I, back in march a local journalist was doing article specials for the sunday paper on The paranormal in the area and Jason Hawes actually helped serve as a bit of a consultant as well. So, I indirectly already worked with them. So, that that made me very happy. This case opened up a lot of new avenues. Being that it was my very first public investigation and I was already able to capture something, that was enough of the drive I needed to keep going. That was enough for me to be able to say, Yo, explain that. For the videos that are on the same YouTube channel I mentioned from earlier, serve as a bit of a greatest hits compilation. The idea for the show was to also put up how certain things could be faked, but that was shut down after very personal incidents took hold. Which I also want to kind of tease a little bit because I am currently and I want to hear your guys' opinion on what you would think for this type of episode I am trying to reach out to my old teammates because it's been brought to my attention that one of our darkest cases yet darkest case we've ever taken off I've ever taken on, that tried to kill at least three of us, two, two of us definitely, three of us indirectly, and broke up the team, has uh, made its way into some outlets. I don't know if it's uh, their skepticism on the matter, or if they're too afraid to publish it because of what happened. But basically, I'm going to take the claim first if it doesn't get published here soon. And I'm going to try to see if I can convince my old teammates to tell their sides. Even though some of them weren't active in this particular part of the investigation, we all took blows. We all got hit in some way. Some of us more than others. I want to hear your guys' opinion if you want to hear that story on another future installment of Dakota's Declassified. So right now, that's all I have for you today. I'll see you guys this Friday. Until then, my friends.